RudderStack is a warehouse native customer data platform that helps businesses collect, unify, and activate customer data from all of their different sources. In today's episode, we talk to Soumya Deep Mitra, the founder and CEO of RudderStack. We discuss the importance of activating all of your data, how RudderStack can help you activate your data, the challenges of integrating different data sources, and how to build a data-driven culture in your organization. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Jocelyn Bernhul. Check the show notes for more information on Jocelyn's work and where to find her. Companies have many things they want to do with customer data beyond sales and outbound marketing. To do that, they need to expose customer data so that data analysts and scientists can build more sophisticated use cases such as marketing attribution, churn prediction, product recommendations. Um, Making all that customer data work for the entire enterprise requires an entirely new architecture that syncs customer data between CDP and cloud warehouse without creating a whole bunch more problems than you had before. Today, we have Sonia Mitra here. Uh, He is the founder of a liner and insights backed rudder stack, which um, he will join us just to talk a little bit about the right way to activate all of the data. He is uh, an industry veteran. We're super excited to have him. He's been on the show before I uh, have learned. And he has a ton of experience in the data ML and analytics space, in addition to holding a PhD in computer science from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Josh, like for inviting me to the show. I'm uh, super excited to be back. Yeah, and a lot of things have been going on with RudderStack. We've got some exciting new uh, approaches and thought work that we want to hear about from you. But before we get into that, maybe you can just uh, give us a little background on yourself and RudderStack for those who may not be familiar with it. Yeah, so I'll I'll start with myself. I am Somyat, Somyadev, people call me Somya. Uh, and I'll go in the reverse chronology order, right? I mean, I've, I've been doing data stack for the last four years. I started in June 2019, so this is almost our fourth year. Uh, before data stack, I spent a year uh, in this company called Eight by Eight, a public telecom company, where I was trying to set up a very similar stack of like collecting customer data, doing things with that data, and activating that data back. And the challenges that I ran into in that process, uh, like prompted. Uh, me uh, to, to start our stack. Before 8x8, I was the co-founder and C2 of a company called Mariana IQ. At a very high level, we are uh, using machine learning and deep learning to automate marketing. So the idea was that a lot of the marketing actions are very manual uh, and you could automate that with like a chat GPT like tech. Of course, like we are early uh, both on tech, but also on uh, on on the market. And but learned a lot of things uh, during that process. Uh, the the main of the primary uh, thing was uh, that a lot of most customers do not have clean data, and if you don't have data, then you re- really can't do much ML and so on. So it was a good learning experience. I ended up selling that company to Eight by Eight to build a very similar stack, and then ran into similar challenges, and that's why I kind of started at a stack. And before that, I I started my career in a company called Data Domain. Uh, like if you if you know Frank Sotman, the CEO of Snowflake, that was his first company as a CEO. So he recruited me into Data Domain, uh, convinced me after my PhD that I should join that instead of Google. Had an amazing run, great learning experience. He was an amazing leader. So, but I, I, as you said, I've uh, I have a PhD in data. So I've kind of like worked in data pretty much all my life. 
and uh, and finally i hope with rada stack we can solve the data problem like the customer data problem like data is quite big and quickly about rada stack we are uh, building what is called a warehouse native cdp uh, i'm sure like we'll talk more about that uh, but like that's that's kind of rada stack in one line yeah let's um yeah uh, let's kind of break that apart from a terminology perspective and use that as a way to talk about some of the problem statements that you're addressing because it's an interesting way to talk about what you're doing warehouse native cdp so like why why did you choose that as your tagline why, why does that matter to customers yeah so i think like warehouse native and cdp is a customer data platform right so for folks who don't know what a cdp is Maybe we can start there, and then we can come back to like warehouse native, right? If you look at the, or even if you split up CDP, right, the the core is customer data. Like, what what exactly is customer data, right? So if you look at any brand, like take Crate and Barrel, right? I mean, they 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 have customers interacting with that brand on multiple channels, right? You, you have people coming to the website and ordering, browsing things, ordering things. You have people managing their mobile app. Uh, like coming to the mobile app, like going to their store, uh, like making transactions, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you have all these different channels through which customers are interacting with the brand and you want to collect all that data. Why is that important? Because like you want to know more about your customers, give them personalized experience and all the interesting things with you, which you can do if you know your customers better, right? And for that, you need to collect customer data. So so that's that's all is customers. The definition of customer data. Right. Let me ask you. So, but the problem is, the problem is, I, now let me guess, I did some research on, on some other things you talked about, but also from my own experience, right? You've probably got multiple, you have multiple lines of business. You have multiple um, context in which this customer data is collected. And what you end up with is little warrants of data that describe your customer when they are swiping their credit card. And that same customer is described somewhere else in servicing that credit card down the line. And you might not have a clear picture of how those personas, which is really just you, the one person, fit together. And that's one problem that CDPs try to address, right? Yes, 100%. Right? So that is the whole pitch of a CDP. And this, like, we, are, we didn't start the market, right? I mean, like, the, the, there have been CDPs have been around for like almost 10, 15 years, right? And they came into existence because. The, the folks who wanted to use this data, right? Like the, the marketing folks mostly, but like sometimes like other business units also, like it was very hard for them to get access to this customer data, right? And like they had to rely on IT to put up this infrastructure to collect all that data. And this is like early 2010, right? I mean, you had to really set up a Hadoop cluster, right? You're talking about yeah. like, a, like a data at scale, right? If you're collecting like first party interactions of the website and mobile app, right? So you have to set up a Hadoop cluster and like hire a team of data engineers to write all that code and all that stuff. And then you've got a freshness problem, right? You've got yeah. a freshness problem because when it's getting collected, it's fresh, but it's messy. Yeah, exactly. And then it goes to this long pipeline process of getting, you know, tuned up for the analysts. And by the time they get it, yeah, it's not what they wanted. Exactly. And then anytime you need something new, you want to collect a new event, you have to go back to IT. And then by the time your need for that data goes away, right? So exactly as you pointed out. So marketing said like, oh, IT is too slow. I need to like, I need them to get away. And then I, so they, they kind of like went ahead and brought, bought this, these other SaaS solutions, right? And like there are a lot of like segment was a, one of the first players in the space, which got acquired by Twilio. And then there have been a, like a, a bunch of startups who have kind of 
built companies in this space, right? Primarily selling to marketing. That like don't have to talk to IT. We will manage everything. We'll collect the data. We'll do it like in in our SaaS system, and that went a long way, right? I mean, like it kind of like have solved interesting problems. Now that also has its own sets of challenges, right? I mean, these cloud SaaS black boxes, right? They are good at like collecting data where they can, but if you look at a large enterprise, there is a lot of data that does not flow through these CDPs, right? I mean, when you buy a vendor that a marketing team buys, right? I mean, there's only so much data that can flow into them, right? I mean, there, there is data in your transactional systems and your backend systems. And like, I'll, marketing cannot get access to this and like through like a SaaS vendor, right? So you have always this challenge of like the customer data platforms having a limited view of the customer, right? They're like they would get data from proper things that marketing would own, like the website maybe, but they will not get data from the transactional systems, the backend systems. So like we had the same challenge at 8 by 8 right? I mean, there was a, an incomplete data about customers in our CDPs, right? So it's the incompleteness that has traditionally been the problem. You don't get a, you know, you don't get to leverage all the rich data that you have about your customers. And yep. I imagine that's like 10x the problem in the world of training machine learning, because you want as much data as possible to train, right? So you've got an even bigger problem than just having unhappy analysts. It's just not gonna work. 100%, right? In fact, like that is the, that was the root problem at like my previous role when, when I was trying to, like I was trying to build a churn model, right? Churn is a very simple uh, uh, use case, but a very important use case for anything which is subscription, right? Telecom providers are one. Like if if you think somebody is going to churn, it is better to give out the phone for free for six months and try to address that concern because the main cost is to cost of acquiring the customer, right? But it is still important to find these to be churning customer, right? You cannot like give it out to free for everyone. Now to build this churn model, you need app activity data. If you know that like their usage of the app has gone down or over time, that means they are probably likely going to churn. But then we found that is also a very late predictor. Like, I mean, by the time their usage has gone down, they're probably already made up their mind. So we found that like ticketing data, like support ticket data is a very lead predictor. And right? if you know that like, like somebody has opened a lot of support tickets and the sentiment is very bad, then that data is actually a very good leading predictor of churn. So you need to, to build a churn model, which is the model is very simple. You can use any standard machine learning algorithm, but you need this completeness of data. You need the app activity data, and you need this like ticketing data, bring them together and join them and create that customer profile. And then like you can train a very simple ML model. The hard part is to get this data together. That's one, right? I mean, like your traditional CDP will maybe have the app activity data that will not have your ticket data. Your ticket data might be sitting somewhere in your backend uh, warehouse, data warehouse, and so on. How do you like bring both of them together? And then how do you then train machine learning algorithms on top, right? That is the hard problem, right? Not so much the ML part. Right, that that is the hard problem. And, you know, as you're talking about all these use cases, you know, I'm hearing streaming data, I'm hearing, you know, structured data on-prem in the cloud. I hear all these examples. And yet you're using this term cloud native warehouse. So can you help me understand that? Yeah. So. So that is our pitch, right? I mean, so you had these like data silos where your first party app data is sitting in a cloud CDP 
let's say ticket data and a lot of backend transaction data you are pulling into your data warehouse like snowflake and bigquery and redshift to do analytics like why why create these two separate data silos right earlier you had to do it because your data warehouses right i mean if you look go back to 2010 there was no cloud data warehouse like you had to buy a tenor data and like an on prem data warehouse where you could not collect all this streaming data right that was much higher volume extremely costly you cannot dump it so you had to store it separately in a hadoop cluster and so on while your transactional data went to a data warehouse like a teradata of the world so you had to keep them separate but in the last 4 5 years with the innovation in the cloud data warehouses it has finally become possible to bring all of this data together into one single place like right? you can literally swipe your credit card and get a 1 terabyte instance of snowflake and store all that data and process that data right so that has been a big shift in this ecosystem cloud data warehouses have enabled collection of high volume streaming data etl data into one single platform right so what you need is like a like a cdp like the traditional cdps did like the data collection data unification everything like if you could just run that stack on top of a cloud data warehouse instead of like being another data silo you can solve lot of these problems right i mean uh, around like bringing both the data together data completeness problem analytics and ml problems like you could not do on the traditional cdps now you can do on top of a cloud data warehouse so that's what we are kind of doing with our stack in in a nutshell yeah the cdps got a little bit dusty right people were not as interested because of the, all these problems and uh what you're saying is that cloud architectures really opened up a new way of thinking about it um you also have uh let's talk a little bit let's see if we can talk about two things at the same time but um you have this notion of collection unification activation can we just kind of talk through that because i think those are really great pillars for understanding router stack yep. but i also want to talk about some architectural decisions underneath those as we go along if you look at like this like stack again end to end like forget router stack and i mean like you you're trying to build this use case of again let's go let's go back to the churn model right? and then other things could be similar right you want to 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 build that churn model you want to get your first party app data like your streaming app data and then you also want to get your like ticketing data through an etl kind of a pipeline right so you want to run these two pipelines to get data into your data warehouse that is the collection piece of of it right the second step is you have to stitch all this data together into this golden customer record right i mean finally to feed any analytics or ml you you need this like one row per customer with a bunch of features for that customer right? features could be like total number of tickets they have opened in the last 7 days what is the average sentiment score how many times have they logged in into the app how many phone calls have they made how many transactions have they done right so these are all the features that are interesting that you want to compute for a user by combining these two data like the streaming data and the etl data right so this is the final output that you want to get and there are a lot of challenges in that i mean we can get into the details but like let's for now say that that is the unification step right you want to combine all of this into create this golden customer record once you do that then you want to train like an ml algorithm which by the way i mean i think is the simplest part of this puzzle right i mean you like a simple you, you don't need like a chat gpt like deep learning thing to build a churn model once you have these features a very simple gradient boost entry would like work well for this use case and once you have let's say a churn score you want to take that and push it back into the business system right finally your support team has to like give out the 
six month off coupon or your marketing team has to run that, right? So you have to push that score back into the the tool gain site if support is using that or something to to for them to work, act on those predictions and so on. So this is like the activation step, right? Finally getting the data out of the warehouse to 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 a destination. So you can come out like we call it collection unification activation. People can call it others. Like some people don't even have terms for them. But this is the pipeline that you need to build use cases like churn and like I mean everything else kind of fits the same model. Yeah, interesting. That's really helpful. Um, you know, and taking a look at some of the, I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the architectural decisions or way, ways of being that you've you've just you know you've decided on because I do think it's interesting if you wanted to kind of unbundle like all of these silos for lack of a better like the places like it's not just a silo it's more than that you've got all these different systems and then all these different ways of thinking about the same data right so um you have decided to attack that by using control plane data plane uh you want to talk a little bit about uh, the decisions you've made there and how RudderStack works in the data plane if you go back to this uh, stack right you have the collection piece which has both streaming data and some ETL data, right? You have to pull it like like ticket data through ETL. So like you have the collect piece. The unification piece runs on top of the data warehouse, which like does all the stitching and, and all the stuff. And then activation is like taking data back from the warehouse into the destination, right? So this is like the end-to-end -end stack. So at the core of it, you need like some some service to move data, right? Like mm -hmm. whether it's streaming from cloud to the warehouse or streaming app to the warehouse, whether it's warehouse to the cloud, all these are like data pipelines, right? Some source, some destination, you have to just move data, right? That's what we call the data plane, right? And it is important that your data plane is closer to where a lot of the data is, right? I mean, if you are, let's say, if you are using Snowflake in, like if you're, everything is running on top of your data warehouse, right? You're pulling the data into the warehouse, you're pushing it out from the warehouse. So if, your Snowflake is in a AWS environment, then you want the data plane to run in an AWS environment, right? Like maybe in the same VPC, maybe not, right? Depending on the use case, but at least you want them to run in the same network because you're moving a lot of data, right? Mm -hmm. Same if you're Snowflake, if you're using GCP as your data warehouse, then you want this data plane to run in that GCP, right? So eventually if you have like a private cloud and your own data data, you want this to run in a, private cloud, right? I mean, we don't support that yet, but like in theory, you could do that, right? So that's kind of what we call the data plane, which is like moving the data. The reason I ask about that is because you have a separate gateway, right? And then you have this data plane world and I I, I might've gotten some data and information, so call me on it, but uh, the, it's designed to like sort of politely degrade if there's problems on that uh, data plane and serving side. Um, I thought that was a really great feature for truly large enterprises, because when I hear everything you do, I get a little scared as an enterprise software data person. It feels like these actions could take a long time. They could burn a lot of memory. What happens when it fails? Like, have, help me understand how you thought through the problems of very large real-time use cases. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, there are like so many levels in which we can talk about it, right? I mean, like real-time data is hard, right? I mean, like we are talking about like it's real-time and high volume. I'm just, I'm just interested in scale and performance. Like those are yeah. huge problems in what you're trying to do. Yeah. In fact, like we have had customers like who have like sending 
hundreds of billions of events a month, right? And then like with, with a strong latency requirement, like you cannot lose events. That's one thing. Plus you have to deliver events in like under three seconds, five second latency, right? So like you have to operate on those skills. So like, so that's all handled by our data plane. Now, the way we kind of do that is like, even the data plane is split into these multiple components, right? There is the gateway component, which is responsible for ingesting all the data. Like it is like, and dumping it into some kind of a queuing system, right? I mean, think of it as Kafka. We don't use Kafka. We have built a homegrown queuing engine, but like it's kind of a messaging bus, just like Kafka. I think of it as like the waiting room or quarantine before. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, that's a good example. I mean, it's like a waiting room in a hospital, right? Your events come in and then like they get into a waiting room, right? The only thing you want to guarantee is like that gateway never goes down, right? I mean, we can never, I mean, of course, like we are a startup once in a while we have bugs and we go down, but like it is very, very rare. I mean, we are, I think we are like kept a very high availability on the gateway and you have to handle things like, like if you have a, like if you have to do deployments, how do you like rolling deployments without going down? You have like failovers and then like we have to handle things like how do you scale up? Suddenly, like sometimes you have customers who have like go 10x, right? I mean, they're even volume. Like how do you scale that up, scale that down? So like we have built, I mean, these are again like hard engineering problems, but like not unsolved problems. And right? I mean like a lot of like companies have solved this, like, like we have built on Kubernetes, but like we, but at a high level, we need this like high available gate failure, which kind of puts that into a waiting room. And then we have consumers of that data, right? I mean, we have consumers who are now taking that event and then deciding what to do with it, right? I mean, you, we have a notion of transformation. So like customers can modify the event post hoc, right? That's, that is also important when you have like, you want to fix an event from an app, right? You published an app, there was some error in the event. You want to like make changes before it goes to downstream destinations, right? So we have that notion of a transformation that runs on the event and then that event is eventually delivered to the destination. Could be a data warehouse, but could also be like a cloud destination. And during that delivery, like again, we have to handle failures, as you pointed out, like if the destination may be down, there may be other kind of errors, network errors, and so on. We have to retry and make sure that it does get delivered. So our system guarantees like, like nobody can do exactly once delivery, but we do like at least once. And then we try to minimize retries. So like we have built like all that logic in, 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 in like, as the consumers consume that event from that waiting room and then like do all this processing. So, and then that's part of the system can also like scale up, scale down. And the great thing is like this whole thing can be run on your laptop. We are also an open source company. So this entire code is open source. Right? So you can run it on your laptop as a Docker image, but we can also run it in a, like a Kubernetes cluster with like hundreds of consumers and hundreds of uh, like uh, gateways and so on. I was just going to ask that about deployment uh, models. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Oh, that helps me understand kind of the under, underlying specialness of this type of architecture because you really do need that for these, like a multinational massive yeah. data structure. Um, so um, that tells us a little bit about what you've been doing. Uh, tell us a little bit, if you're ready to share about kind of directionally, where's Rudderstack going? What's next? Yeah, so I think what we have built other data pipelines, right? I mean, like so far, Rudderstack was like a data pipeline company to like move all the data, right? I mean, we we can, as I said, like we can do event stream, we can do ETL, bring all the data together, we can send it in real time to different destinations. We also have the reverse ETL pipeline to take data out of the warehouse and send to the destination. So we have all these data pipelines. I think the next step, 
So that is the collect and the activate step, right? The unification step is what we kind of left it to the customers. We said that, okay, now we got all the data. Now you write all the SQL, Spark, whatever transformations to make that. Can I ask you a question? Up. Yeah, real quickly. So let's talk about unification, exactly what you mean, because I might be guessing. Yeah. Um, because well, I, I guess it's related to a question I had, which is like, what is the notion of a customer? Once I pull all this stuff in from all over my company, how do I figure out? Because they've got different schemas, different data definitions. What is one of one? That's a great question. I think like, so what does a customer mean to a consumer company? And what does a customer mean to a B2B company can be very different, right? Like, and let's start with the simple case of a consumer company. And right? let's say you are a B2C company. You are like, like Crate and Barrel, you mostly sell to individuals, right? Then, yeah, a customer is like finally an end user. Like there is some end human being that is buying from you, right? Now, you may not have... When you are collecting data, you may not have a consistent ID about the user, right? Like you may be coming to their website, you may be going to their mobile app, and like when you come to the website, you get a cookie, and you never, you are as guest, right? So you never logged in, and then you did something on the mobile app, you never logged in, and then maybe you created an account, signed up with an email on the mobile app, maybe you signed up with a phone number. So you have all these different identities which are now generating events, right? You, you have events associated with all these IDs. And you cannot stitch them together till you provide some head, right? So maybe you eventually give your email address on the mobile phone while you are checking out. When you give that email address, at that point, you know that all these activities are from the same user, right? This email address, this phone number, this mobile device ID, this cookie ID, everything belongs to the same user. So. When you are combining all these activities into one customer table, the first step that you have to do is stitch all these identities, right? This anonymous ID, device ID, cookie ID, email, phone number into one user. That's step one. Like this is called identity stitching, ID resolution, and, and so on. And it is surprisingly hard to do it in SQL, right? Or, or so on. I mean, you have to write a lot of logic. It's like, uh, like you have to get it correct and write this and so on. Right? So that's kind of step one. Now think about, it's not just ID stitching. You're trying to compute features, right? Features are like how many times you have browsed, let's say a product, like that's a feature. How many times have you looked at like furnitures? Now to compute that feature, you may have to now combine activities across all these IDs, right? You may have browsed furnitures as an anonymous user on a mobile device, and you may have browsed as a known user on a web device, and then you want to combine all of them into one single feature, right? So that's like, so you have to like, look at all of this and compute that feature. Now, some features are even harder to compute. Let's say you're computing a revenue feature, right? How much am I getting from this person? And think of like somebody having a subscription business. So you have like point purchases and you have like subscription purchases. So subscription data might be coming from your Stripe account, while your point purchases may be coming from some transactional systems or web events. So you have to combine all of them. And the Stripe data may have a separate ID, right? So computing the customer 360, as it, it may sound simple, like as we work with customers, we've seen like they spend months and months hiring a team of data analysts and so on to compute this table, right? So like this golden customer record. I, I'm dating myself, but we used to do it all by hand, right? You just yeah. create, you used to do it all by hand, join it all. Right, you know, create what we call features now. 
And yeah. uh, then it immediately changed. Yeah. That's the other problem. Exactly. So, yeah. So that is the other part. Right? I mean, like, so then you're all doing this because you want to send this data. Your marketing team needs a feature to run a marketing campaign, right? They need the total revenue to run a campaign. And tomorrow they might need a separate feature, like total revenue in the last seven days or something. And every time they have to, like, they need a new feature, they have to go back to the data team. They have to figure out how to compute that feature. It gets into a sprint and it takes like two weeks to compute that feature by the time marketing needs something else, right? So this whole process of unification, if done by the data team, like adds this complexity and the, and the, like, it doesn't, it's not useful for the downstream too. So that's... And maybe, and maybe people can't do it anymore. Like there's just so yeah. much data, it's possible you need to infer it programmatically, right? Exactly. So that's what like is the unification product we launched. I think like we thought it people can take care of it, but like as we work with more customers, this is often the hardest piece. And and we kind of productize this like uh, so it like we, we again we we are launching this product in Snowflake Summit. Uh, we'll we have some early customers. We got some great response, but like this the whole idea is to like make it easy to create this customer three sixty for both the data teams and engineering teams, but also non-tech people like marketing and product and, and so on. That's such a great call out too. Um, uh, hopefully I'll see you at Snowflake Summit, but uh, that's exciting. Um, you know, I think it's such a great evolution of, of the roadmap and I think people, I can see why people are excited about it because as hard as it is to do what you originally, if the baseline is very hard, um, people feel the, re the result in this activity of unification. That's where they kind of see the output of what they wanted yeah. to do. That's a great point. In fact, like when we were working with our cust uh, early beta customers on this, like they were using Rudderstack to collect all the data it was going to the warehouse. But like this custom output customer 360, that really like like triggers the light bulbs, right? Okay, wow, like I can see this one record per customer with all these features. And then that's when they also get creative. Maybe I can also add this additional feature. Maybe this would be interesting to get like how many support tickets they have and they will add another source. So in, so that's why we don't charge for this product yet. I mean, we charge only for the, the data pipelines, but this product like triggers the the, the 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 thought of like, okay, like we should, we need more data. We need more interesting sources and then so on. So oh, like, and yeah. I think it really, puts, it really puts your finger directly on the existential problem for most complex businesses. Uh, there's just not enough data people. The people who know what fe what they're what features they need, the people who are asking the right questions, they don't have the data chops, right? Exactly, exactly. It's a problem. I mean, it used to be something funny we talked about, like, oh, we'll just bring in the uh, less technical people. Listen, that's the majority of the people in the organizations. They know the business and they don't have enough tools. So I think that's cool. And it's a chicken egg problem. The other thing I see is like, I mean, Unless you can create that customer 360 and like see, provide, like show value of from, from that, you don't get budget from your execs to hire more data people. And then like, you can, unless you do that, you cannot like show that, uh, like create that in the first place, right? So yeah, I think like uh, this is an, hopefully an opportunity to like, break from that cycle. I want to talk about your business on the business side. We talked about the product and the tech. I want to talk a little bit about the business. Um, I should have done more research on this, uh, but I should assume you're getting questions about generative AI. Yeah. How that affects this modality that you've identified as something customers need. Um, do you have any uh, co common questions you're hearing? Yeah, so I think 
everyone and anyone is interested in generative ai including my mom right so i was like what what are you doing in generative ai i think the uh, like so like we are building some things around like like embedding generative ai into the product right S starting with support which is the easiest one right i mean like how do you better search over your docs right and, and so on and then we'll add embed in the product transformations that right? we have a transformation feature we can auto generate code and so on so those are like small things in the product i think the big driver for us is i believe we will finally realize one to one personalization with generative mm. ai right i mean if like we already like we have been talking about it forever right one to one personalization and like we we talked about it in my previous company even 10 years before that we are talking about it but there were two missing things one is like you did not have the the tech to do it right even if i knew everything about you right as a human i can write the most perfect message for you right like marketing message for you but then how do you scale that right so th there was no tech to do that and that's why like the whole marketing ecosystem was built around segmentation right you create broad segments like women in new york i'll do this messaging and like and something else right you could not do one to one right so now finally we have a tech to do one to one right i mean you can like feed, feed everything about a user and then like it some magic right chat gpt or something built on chat gpt will come up with the perfect message for that person so assuming that is solved what you need though is still to collect everything about that person right like if you don't have the data then you cannot call this module right and and hopefully that will keep us in business and that will like help drive revenue for us so so far we have been more focused on the data problems but i think like i mean right now we don't we have not built these use cases but i, I like somebody will build us or somebody else will take all this data and craft the the perfect marketing message for that person like given everything they know and in the perfect support message or whatever right so That's right. Um that's interesting. Yeah, I feel I feel that way too. It's like I get excited about data, solving data problems with cloud data because we've been waiting so long. Yeah. For the promise of true personalization, accurate sub-second underwriting, all of those things, right? Um so I I do feel like it's a little bit more easy to see it on the horizon than it was um in the past few years. So, uh that's interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the business and the traction you're getting with customers. I know you've got um there's a couple of use cases you can talk about where you've got some happy customers. Again, at, let's inter like intersect that with like how do people how do customers implement? How do they get started? And maybe you can use a couple of examples of real customers if you have some to share. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not sure like so I'll maybe like talk about the specific use case like we are sharing on Sovit. Yeah. Yeah, I maybe didn't ask the question. It's just it's a lot. I'm just I didn't ask the question per, perhaps correctly. It's just that what you do, you come to me as uh, the head of the bank, and you're like, give me all your data. I'm sure people feel like they don't want to do that right away. So how do you carve out your land before you expand? Yeah, in fact, like that's the whole value prop of Rudderstack. We don't say give us all the data. We the the story we tell our customers is like, like you. you have some data in your data warehouse are you truly getting business value out of that data maybe you're powering some dashboards and oh, then and okay. so on but how do you are getting business value of that data right so then they will say okay like yeah i mean it like i i have some basic chart model it would be good to like like build these additional use cases to to drive business value right that is the conversation so 
then we say, okay, okay, so to build that churn model, let's say again, taking that example, do you have a golden customer record on which you can train the model and, and then you can run the predictions and so on? And more often than not, the answer is no, right? We don't have that. Then the conversation goes into like, do you even have the data to build like that golden customer record? Right? Do you have all your like first party data? Do you have your like ETL data? And again, more often than not, the answer is no, right? We have some data, not everything and so on. So like, that's what we solve, right? We almost start backwards. We say like, what is the business use case you're trying to drive? What is, do you have the golden customer record and do you have the data completeness, right? So we can go that way and then like, but implement forward, right? You, you have to start collecting data then you build the golden customer record and then you go and activate the use case. Like it, we have had customers who have kind of done this whole thing in a month. We have customers who are like, take six months to take this journey, right? But like, that's kind of our pitch. So that's the one product, right? The other product is like data collection, right? Thankfully, uh, uh, like segment, uh, which was acquired by Filio, has built a big business around data collection, right? They have kind of like told the world that this is a problem. You should not be doing it from scratch. Like this just uses as a solution. And we are almost, we, we are like an API compatible replacement for segment, right? And after acquisition, anytime, we I have great respect for the segment and what they have done, but like after acquisition, we always have unhappy customers and we want to move on. So like that's the other product. We get a lot of inbound leads just for that, like data collection. I, I, I don't want to like the whole journey. So like we have both kind of uh, like go-to-market motions, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so every... um you're all SaaS, is that correct? Yeah, we are all SaaS. Okay. And um, help me, the other question I had real quick is, um, help me understand the difference between the open source offering yeah. and the rest. Yeah, so the the only piece which is open source for us is the data collection piece, right? Okay. So if like the, the event streaming uh, data collection, uh, like our SDKs are open source, our backend is open source. In fact, like we... The, when we first launched Stratastack, we launched as an open source alternative to Segment, right? I mean, that was like, and we, we got on Hacker News. Uh, in fact, that's where like we we initially, first time I got on Software Engineering Daily was like in response to that Hacker News post where Jeff reached out. He wanted to talk about why are we doing this and so on. So yeah, that's how we got to market. That's an open source. We have a thriving, uh, uh, like we have a lot of open source users. I would say like we have a lot of commit commits to the code base other than like uh, our destination SDKs, right? Like, we integrate with so many des destinations. That's where like we get some community contribution, even from the downstream vendors. But like that's that's what uh, is is open source. But then, wh why why people pay us is like sometimes they don't want to manage the open source. Number one, number two is like sometimes they have scale requirement. Right? I mean, the if, if you want high availability, if you want like multi node and and so on, auto scale up, auto scale down on the ingest piece, then that's what is only available in the SaaS offering. Right? So that's how we kind of make money. So that's part one. And the other parts of the unify and activate we are talking about, right? That that is our commercial offering, right? That is only available in SaaS. And are you priced on consumption? It is priced on an event amount of data that moves through our stack. Okay. So like, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Like whether you're moving ETL, streaming, reverse ETL, either way, we just charge for whatever you're moving through us. Gotcha. Uh, well, that sounds amazing. Uh, do you wanna, I know you're gonna be a Snowflake seller talking about some amazing new stuff. Um, I know you also had a couple of like, just, just to walk us through like a real business case, like what really happened. It's sometimes really helpful to hear that so that and frame yeah. up the rest of what we've talked about. Yeah, so I think uh, like one like case study that we are presenting at Snowflake Summit is with uh, this customer called Wise. They they make uh, uh, like like 
mobile cams, right? I mean, kick cameras that you can put in your house yeah. and so on. They have like over 24 million uh, like subscribers. Like it's a huge business with, with as you can imagine, a lot of data, right? I mean, like, yeah, the mobile cams are IoT devices. They, they emit some data and, and, and so on. And they wanted to like drive like similar like use cases, right? Can you predict churn? Can you drive up LTV? Like any subscription business has the same set of uh, use cases uh, as uh, as they have. So they they are using Rudderstack to collect all that data into a data warehouse. They are using the Unify product to create that golden customer record. They are pushing that back into Braze to run engagement campaigns. They built churn models and so on. And they moved from some legacy CDP to that stack and that kind of like uh, I, I don't remember top of my head, but like they're like five x increase in productivity in deploying new ML models, right? Adding a new features through oh, profiles is that's like big. much easier. Yeah, because again, I think like you have to, as we are discussing earlier, you have to like handcraft a lot of those features, right? Right? Complex SQL, figure that out. I think with 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 our unified product, that has become much easier. One thing I forgot to ask you, real quick, uh, and then we can now wrap it up is. Um, you know, customer data has a lot of obligations around it for privacy yeah. and uh, tracking. How do you, I should know this, but how do you address that or do you use that something a partner does? Yeah, in fact, like that is our, one of the biggest selling points of Rudderstack, right? I mean, and like, and, and that's why we have a lot of traction in EU as well, right? Where, where people are very sensitive about like data privacy, like a lot more than the US. And our story is simple, right? We don't store any customer data, right? We are just that data pipelines for moving the data. All the unification also happens on top of customers' data warehouse, right? Their own Snowflake instance and BigQuery and so on. So like we we do not like store data, right? And that really simplifies our story. We also have a uh, like a deployment in EU so that like the EU data stays in EU, your US data stays in US. We also have a deployment model where we can run the whole data plane. Like the data plane I was talking about still SaaS but it can run inside a customer's VPC. Okay. So yeah. in that case, we don't even see the bits, right? In in you know, SaaS, we at least like see the data moving through us. But here, if, if it is running in a VPC, we don't even see the bits, right? Entirely, it moves through customers. So like, like compliance, in fact, like when we started, like our, our pitch was like, compliance is going to be important. We are a solution to that, right? So the warehouse first, everything was centered around compliance. Now over, time we realized Warehouse First has a lot more advantages, just not compliance. Yeah, um, that's a good plan. You sort of rise above it and uh, just let the, uh, the whatever the customer is doing, just stay on it um, in terms of protection. So that that's smart. Um, that, that I can see why certainly in the EU they would love that. Um, well, you know, we're kind of wrapping it up. I have a couple quick questions. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that I forgot to ask about? No, this was great. I think like Good. you covered everything. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, touching Absolutely. About. It's so great to have you here. And then one last question I'd like to ask some of our more technical founders is, you know, our audience is made up of software developers, architects, um, people who might be considering doing a startup. Uh, and yeah. I'm just wondering if you have any words of advice as a technical founder. Yeah, I think, I mean, I have been a founder, like this is my third company. I started a company out of college, did another company right. as a CTO, and then this I'm running as a founder, CEO. I think, uh, I don't know if it applies for every technical founder, but one thing I'll say is like, there are two things actually which is important. Number one is like, 
as a technologist, you are always trying to look for something new, right? Like when I was doing my PhD, the entire focus was you have to find a research problem that nobody has worked on before, right? Like that's what like you can only then can you get a paper published, right? When you are like trying to, as a technologist, when you see what can I build new, right? I mean, nobody has thought about it. I'll build something amazing, right? And that is always the inclination. You almost have to unlearn that, right? The goal is not to build something new. The goal is some go. The goal is to build something which people need, right? And if people need something, more often than not, somebody would have built it once before, right? Somebody would have tried it. Maybe they didn't have the right solution. Maybe they had a like an old architecture and so on. So don't try to build something new. Try to build something people care about which more often than not means people have done it before. And like we often reject ideas saying that, oh, this has been built before. Like we cannot build a company here. And like I built Rudderstack, right? Where Segment was like doing 100 billion in revenue. And, and, and there's still so much market left, right? I mean, and I, I, I'd give a lot of the credit to my, uh, like, uh, my investors, my like, uh, advisors to like actually like go after this market, right? irrespective of like, whether segment was there or not. So I think that is one big learning as technical founder. The second thing I would say is like, kind of follow up to that. You can either try to create a market. There are only so many risks you can take as a founder, right? I and mean, there is a market risk, there is a technology risk, and there is a team risk, right? These are the three more main risks. Like, and some people are good at some things, right? I mean, Uber created a market, right? Clearly the founder was great at creating a market, right? Technologists like cook, engineers us like we are often not like super eloquent we are not great like charismatic people to create a market right it is often better like i think we have a higher chance of success if we go after a known market with a better solution right what we can do is like build better products right and then so on so this kind of goes back to the earlier point like don't try to do something new like go after something which has been done before do it better and then I love that. I think we do suffer from trying to be too cool. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, right? I, I, <laughs> I feel that when I write blogs or, you know, I, if I let, I write, I'm like, oh, everything's been said. Everything's been written. Or if I'm posting to LinkedIn, but it hasn't all been said, you know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is like, I think the biggest thing. I mean, like, look at how many generative AI companies are there. And I mean, like, in the last three months, I've probably been pitched like 20 times different companies doing generative AI for support, right? Support and so on. Like only one will survive. And like the market is not even clear versus if you look at like a segment, again, I'll take that as an example. Like for seven years, they had literally no competition and they've been made a $300 million business, right? I mean, they're probably like a $10 billion market, right? So there are all these white spaces and, and, and markets where literally there is no competition, like versus like, as technologists, we often try to do cool stuff, right? Versus like right. where there are markets. I think I'm Peter Thiel. I mean, I, I, I mean, he's a controversial figure, but I have great respect for his thought. I mean, he has a book around like this whole thing, right? I mean, like go for it. Like you should not, like you can build a company only when there is no competition, right? I mean, don't, don't try to compete, right? So right, anyway, right. I, I can go no, on and on. I, but I think that's great. We have to do another show on the nature of competition and what it means. Because uh, I yeah. do think that's such an important, people say, you know, and even investing, people say, I don't have any competition. And I would feel like, oh, I don't know. I feel like yeah. everyone who has a good idea should have some competition. Right? 100%. <laughs> and 
anyways, it's great to talk with you. Um, I hope uh, all the best at Snowflake Summit. Start drinking water now. Wear your sneakers. Yeah. And um, and we'll see you again on the show. Best of luck. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Bye.